Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. You made it. You are now in the lounge. The bouncer's tough at the front door. Oh, I mean, there is a lot to get to. There is a reason why we're doing this, and we're thrilled to have everyone is invited inside the lounge. I'm kidding, but we uh, we're pumped about what this is going to be doing for us. And I would like to start with the fact that. Players are human beings, and once they end their playing career, and Living Proof is my co-host, they're still human beings. And in fact, they're probably even more evolved human beings that can talk about an even wider range of topics. And there are thousands of alums from Major League Baseball, so we'll never be searching for guests, and that's what this is all about. Yeah. Listen, Scotty B, it's great to be on with you. I think this is a great concept that MLBPAA, the Players and Alumni Association, has kind of created and given us this platform. Mainly, by the way, that's my first comment. The second comment I'm ever ever going to make on this show, uh, not all the players I played with were human beings. I played with some animals uh, <laughs> that I can think of. Mike Diaz comes to, you know, right off the top of the bat. No, but uh, we are, and what we are are our creatures of habit and we do the same thing for so long then all of a sudden our careers are over and some of us actually you know have a tough time whether they were in the money era or not uh trying to figure out themselves and but one of the things that's constant uh they were great players major leaguers with incredible stories and that's one of the great things about baseball is the stories and the stories i don't want to say change oh but they might have more details to them when the playing career is Correct. done. I think that's what makes this so special. It's simple. There are a ton of big leaguers doing amazing things, former big leaguers doing amazing things too, guys with wise words. And those words have most likely evolved with time and with age. And they might feel more comfortable saying certain things, not worried about what the clubhouse is going to think, right? All the players around them. It's just different. The spotlight is not on you in the same way once your playing career is done. And I mean that in a positive way. It's just that you can open up maybe on a topic that you didn't want to discuss during your playing career. And also the conversation is usually more worldly, right? Because when most players are playing, they're so focused on their playing careers. So once we get outside of baseball and that's not there for many of these guys anymore that's when they pick up all kinds of other skills and talents and even talking about family that you might not have gotten as deep when they were players so that's one slice of the pie and the other half of the pie is the fact that like we talked about at the beginning epic stories are easier Mm -hmm. to tell post playing career and that's why the legends lounge has been created yeah, and when you think about it, in fact, right off the bat, our first few guests that we're going to feature for uh, those that are going to listen to us and follow us, uh, you know, range in each separated about a decade from from being uh, retired. So you're getting a whole different feel of what their era was and their takeaway. And I think that's, you know, something that, again, baseball being this kind of grassroots America thing uh, of all nationalities that live in the United States, I think this is a great opportunity 
for the person, you know, the fan to connect with, with them and hear their voices about, you know, certain thoughts of the game and outside the game. And we're starting off with a big time <laughs> legend too. So before we get to him, I just like to call this out and we'll do this every show. If you have a question, a guest request, you can hit us up at M L A M authentics and on all the major platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. M L A M authentics. So questions, comments, concerns, something for me. Oh, a guest. Yeah, I love the request. There will be a bunch, you know, because yes. once we start rolling in guests and 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 they see who's what pick of the, you know, we have an opportunity to pick some great, you know, superstars, but also interesting players. Uh, that's going to be. By the way, those that love acronyms, which I do, I'm a crazy acronym guy. M L A M stands for Major League Alumni Marketing, uh, and it's an you know an arm of M L B P A A, which is Alumni Association. And I can't say enough about all those peeps out in Colorado Springs, out here, you know, in Tampa Bay, uh, New York. They do an incredible job. So my hat's off to them. A big shout out to that crew for helping us put this all together. And of course, for us to be able to eventually relay your request to us, like, hey, so-and-so was my my favorite player growing up. Can you talk to him? That's when we hit up the crew behind the scenes. Derek Jeter. (laughs) (laughs) We need a phone call, okay? So let's start off with a legend, a Hall of Famer, Chipper Jones in the lounge. Chipper Jones is doing life right post-playing career. First off, Hall of Famer, former MVP, World Series champ, batting champ, eight-time All-Star, you know, and world-renowned bow hunter. I wanted to make sure I get that in there too, Chipper. Let's actually start there. How you doing? Thanks for joining us in the lounge. I appreciate it. I'm doing well, guys. I'm, uh, I apologize for being late today. Completely my fault. I thought I'd be able to do the zoom call from uh, our little lake house up at the cabin. Unfortunately, that didn't happen today. <laughs> so I had to, it took me about 20 minutes to get back into town so I could get, uh, so I could get a signal and get a hold of you guys, but better late than never, I guess. Right. You're in the oh. wilderness. Definitely better late than never. Right. You're, you're out there finding, did you hold up the phone? All right. Right here. I got it. I'm going to stay right here. This is perfect. <laughs> Well, I was driving myself, so it's a good thing I didn't pass the police officer because we're kind of in a hands-free zone here. <laughs> hey, don't lie, man. Back. Don't lie. You were, you had something hooked on the on, on the lake, and you did not want to give it up, and you were fighting that sucker, and you are like, the hell with Owen Scotty B. I'm catching the fish. Uh, I would never do that to you guys. Love you guys. <laughs> it's really good to see you again. It's been a, it's been a, quite a while, man, and uh, we're very blessed to have you on the show, and 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 kind of piggybacking on 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 Scotty B. How did that whole thing with the the bow hunting and the show? I mean, you know, now you're a TV star on top of things and teaching people how to do this. I mean, uh, how did that come about? I've actually been doing it for the better part of uh, about 20 years. I was uh, originally with uh, a crew called Buck Commander, which was kind of a spinoff on the Duck Commander series uh you know out of out of louisiana myself willie robertson adam laroche uh ryan langerhans tombo martin uh all of us were in 
that club together, uh, along with Matt Duff, who uh, pitched in the big leagues for the Cardinals for a short period of time. And Duff and I have been good buddies for a long time. And, you know, that's kind of, that was kind of a, a fraternity type atmosphere, a lot of pranks, a lot of goofing around. And uh, we, we, it wasn't really what we wanted to do. We wanted to do something different where we were a little more serious about it, where we were, you know, a little more informative, um, where, you know, people could, could learn a little bit from it. And we're, uh, we're about to start our 12th season of filming for major league bow hunter. So, uh, we've been, we've been at it for a while. It's, it's a lot of fun. You know, obviously my, it's something that my wife and my kids have gotten into as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a big old family affair down here in Podunk, Georgia. (laughs) How did you get into it originally? I've been hunting, uh, ever since I was seven, eight, nine years old. My dad was, uh, whatever my dad was doing, that's what I was doing. If he was hunting, I was, you know, right there with him. If he was fishing, I was on the back of the boat. If he was, you know, calling plays, you know, he was offensive coordinator for the high school football team. I was in the press box with him when, you know, it was time for basketball season. We were in, the, you know, in the gym shooting hoops. And then obviously we knew where our bread was buttered come the springtime uh, when baseball season starts. So started. So, yeah, I mean, it's just something that's kind of been, I guess you could say bred, bred into me. You know, and in and, and bringing up your father and, and uh, how influential he was, and back into land and growing up over there and you know, a little country over there too, you know? Um, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and being a high school coach, uh, high school teacher in football, you played both. And one of the things that, you know, when I've researched you before, you were a heck of a pitcher. Now, when you signed, obviously you were raking too, Chip, we knew that, but was there like this little impetus that maybe like, you know, I, I, I I'd rather pitch or do you always want to be, I'd rather hit. <laughs> You know, the only time I ever wanted to pitch was when Smoltzy, Maddox, and Glavin were going to play like Pine Valley or yeah, Marion yeah, or, and you had a game or, or LA Country <laughs> Club or you know something like that's the only time I was like, but, and Doggy always, Doggy always used to tell me he was like, hey, you pitched when you were you know, when you were younger. Right. And I said, yeah, he goes, well, you made a choice. And then you switch hits and you couldn't miss, you know, they weren't going to platoon yeah. you. So you were done. You wanted to hit and play every day. So, you know, <laughs> suck, suck on it. Uh, yeah. But uh, I was recruited as a pitcher, uh, shoot the university big of numbers, Florida, man. which was big numbers. Basically, in my backyard, they didn't even recruit me as a position player whatsoever. It was strictly as a pitcher. Um, had some offers to go play some Division One football. Um, but, you know, I think most people, once once they realized that I was going to be, you know, a, a top 10 pick, top five pick, possibly the first pick in the draft. Um, yeah, yeah, all that all that attention from pitching and, and football kind of kind of waned pretty quickly. Were there ever thoughts of being a two sport pro star like Deion Sanders style or any of that? Uh, for a fleeting moment, right? <laughs> until until uh, about the first time I saw Ray Lewis come across the middle and, and right. tear open a, a wide receiver, which is the position that I played. Uh, I, I could have, I, I was 
given the opportunity to play at Miami, I signed with the University of Miami to play baseball and uh, would have been given the opportunity to play football. Hmm. But uh, I just didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't enjoy working at the game of football the way I did the game of baseball. I could spend hours and hours and hours uh, working on a game of baseball, but um, football here in the South, you know, it's, Friday nights are crazy. You know, little towns will shut down just to go to the football games and it's really exciting, but Monday through Thursday didn't excite me all that much. <laughs> you know, getting ready, getting ready for Friday night. Friday night was awesome. Getting to wear your Jersey to, to school and, you know, have all the cheerleaders, you know, fawning all over you and stuff like, yeah, that was pretty cool. But Monday through Thursday sucked, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, practices and whatnot i just i didn't enjoy it the way i did baseball brother um first met you when i came back from japan to the major leagues in 93 you were injured or the earlier part of that year and and i i, if I remember right and uh I, I remember see or at least you were up and not playing and i remember seeing you talking to you and then you you know you finally you know came back up in september and and the rest is history but one of the things that, because I'm always migrating to switch hitters, you know, because I was a switch hitter. So I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, you, you ended up a career being one of the greatest switch hitters, you know, of all time up there with the numbers with Mantle and Eddie Murray, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because, you know, for example, now I do the Rays games and you have, uh, we have like, we're called up like four switch hitters in the last couple of months, man, as some dynamic kids and, yeah. and uh, how hard it, it is to be a switch hitter. So a little bit of the X's O's, and, and, you know, throughout, you know, and putting the numbers you did from both sides. Yeah. Um, I think any switch hitter would tell you that, uh, having that, having that slider and that curveball break into you is a lot easier to hit than breaking away from you. Um, you know, it was just something that, you know, my dad came up a huge Mickey Mantle fan. So I grew up in the shade, even though I never got to see Mickey play, um, I grew up listening to stories about him and, you know, uh, my dad and I, we got three channels there in Pearson, Florida, and, uh, we lived for the one o'clock Saturday game with Tony Kubek, Joe Garagiola, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and whenever the game was over, uh, on Saturday afternoons, right back, right into the backyard and we would emulate the lineups. And, you know, I was a huge Dodger fan. My dad was a Baltimore Oriole fan. And, you know, when Mike Sosha or Kenny Landro or Reggie Smith, um, Rick Monday came up, my dad made me turn around and hit left-handed. And right. that, that's how I, he stood 40 feet away from me with a tennis ball. And I had a piece of PVC pipe and he's just rearing back, throwing heaters as hard as he can. <laughs> And that's how I learned to, you know, get my foot down and get the head out, you know, and, uh, man, I, before long, I took it as a challenge. You know, I started stacking my lineup with lefties just so I could hit left-handed and, uh, man, you, you, you be amazed at uh, how many times I look back on my successes and my career. And it all started right there with, 
with that Saturday game of the week and emulating those lineups and, and being able to be versatile enough player to hit from both sides of the play. Everybody always asks me, you know, is it, is it tough, uh, you know, being a switcher? Yeah, it's tough because we got to work twice. That's as what much, I'm saying. Both much, sides. Yeah. Twice right. as much as everybody Correct. else. You know, I mean, anybody can can hit from one side of play. Turn around and do it from the other side if you want. <laughs> good, to me. good, because some guys are good from one. They're switch hitters. They're not really switch hitters, right. Chipper. They they right. they're they're two hundred hitters from one side, and then they're two eighty hitters. I'm just saying, you know, it's hard to do it that well as you did from both. Well, it took a it took a lot of work, and man, I, I I'm you know I think one of the coolest things, one of the coolest stats from my career, people asked me what my splits were, uh, left-handed and right-handed. And I think I hit three Oh four right-handed and three Oh three left-handed, you know? So, I mean, having that consistency from both sides was one of the things that I was the proudest of, but it did not come easily. Yeah. It stands out. And that's why when we fast forward to what you're up to now and you're busy as heck, you're an ideal hitting instructor. I mean, you can talk hitting with anybody, right? You can talk lefty bat. You can talk righty bat. I'm sure any switch hitter gravitates to you automatically. So life right now, this summer, what's it been like as you're super busy and you've took on yet another unique role here? It's, it's, it's been good. It's been fun. It's been a little bit eye-opening and a little bit different than I thought it was going to be for the simple fact that, uh, you know, I've been out of the game for going on nine years now, and the game has changed so much. Mm. Um, being away from the from the organization and the clubhouse, and and just seeing how everything has turned from, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna drive the ball, you know, from foul pole to foul pole, and be a complete hitter to, uh, we don't care about strikeouts, we don't care about batting average, we care about uh, exit velocity and launch angle. Okay. Mm. Uh, all right. So what I need to know, and, and I'll ask every hitter that I work with this question, what kind of hitter do you want to be? You know, do you want to be a complete hitter? You want to stand on the plate? I mean, or do you want to hit the ball from foul pole to foul pole, hit 300, maybe sacrifice a little power to be a tougher all round out, or do you want to stand on the plate and jerk 30 times and hit 230? Um, every player with the exception of one through the years has said, I want to be a complete hitter. Um, now whether they, they actually go out there and execute that is a completely different thing. But oddly enough, Brian McCann was the only guy who said, I want to stand on the plate and and yank 30 times. And I said, okay, we'll make, (laughs) we'll make, we're going to make the outside (laughs) corner, the the middle of the plate. And you know, you're going to turn and burn. And and it was so funny because he comes back like, four or five years later and he's, you know, 36, 37 years old. And he goes, ask me again. And I, go, what? <laughs> I go, what kind of hitter you want to be Mac? He goes, I want to be a complete hitter. I'm like, it's too damn late now. Seven <laughs> years old, You know? Uh, but you know, he had a, he had a pretty good year for us, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And uh you know, it's, it, it's just, you got to get up in these, in these guys' heads to figure out, you know, what's going to resonate with them. And, and, uh, you know, you have to be flex flexible and versatile as a, as a hitting coach, just like you do as a baseball player. You know, it really is crazy. And the game has changed so many dynamic ways because of the fact of, 
of again, uh, I don't even see hit and runs. I don't see uh, there's definitely in our, in our league that I cover the American League. There's no rarely any bunting. Uh, you know, the irony, chippers, when they get to the playoffs, then they go back to small balls so and they're trying to win. But um, your thoughts, just in general, of of today's stars. Obviously, you've got one who just got injured in Acuna Junior. You got several. Who are the guys that you're like looking at and going, "Wow, impressive." Yeah, there's so many good young um, hitters and players in the game. You know, at the top of the lineup, like like Ronald Acuna, and, and I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this kid take batting practice. I, it, it's <laughs> <Yes>. damn, <laughs> it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like he pops balls up 420 feet, you know, and and swings a little bitty bat, you know. Um, you look at the guys like uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., who, you know, we played against his dad when he was, yep. you know, with the Rangers and the Cardinals and whatnot, and a uh, heck of a ball player himself. But but Tatis Jr., he's a he's, he's a folk hero out in San Diego. I mean, he, they've got murals of him all over all over town out there. He's a you know, he's he's a god out there in San Diego. It's great to see, you know, these these towns and these cities embrace these young kids uh you know you go to washington dc and i think probably the best pure hitter in the game to be honest with you is probably soto mm. um i mean he is just a phenomenal he, he reminds me of a left-handed pool host. like he can go out and hit you 330 or 340 but also you know yanked the ball out of the ballpark 30 times and, and hit the ball from foul pole to foul pole out of the ballpark, uh, more walks than strikeouts. That's the kind of, that's Hello. the kind of hitter that I, that I look at and yep. say, man, this kid, this kid has the world by the tail. If he keeps this approach throughout his whole career. So a couple guys you mentioned, I mean, including the Braves there, Cunha, they've only been on one team so far in their career. Just was curious for you now being out of the game, if you look back at your career and are even more proud that you stuck with one team the entire time, it's probably easy to say this now, but I think the way that I want to phrase it is, you know, if I offered you a little more money at some point to leave, would you have done it? Or is it that (laughs) worth being one place at home your entire career? Uh, To answer your previous question, no, I wouldn't have done it. I would have, I would have stayed put. Um, Atlanta is my speed. It is, you know, I'm a Southern kid. Um, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And I had many a player who came through here and left whom we tried to keep here. And they come back a year or two later and say, man, I wish I'd have listened to you, you know? And, um, you know, what more could you ask for as a player than to come into spring training every single year and know that John Sherholtz and Bobby Cox are going to give you an opportunity to win every single year. And I mean, what more can you ask for as a player? Obviously me being involved, as long as I felt like I had to say so um, in, you know, my four at bats during the course of the game, four or five at bats and my couple plays in the field, as long as I had to say, so I felt like we automatically had a chance to win. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is, um, this is home and Mm -hmm. it's, it's always been home. It's been home to to me for the last 25 years. 
Um, I especially at the end of my career was not going to disrupt or uproot um, my youngins and and the wife and, and kind of upset everything, you know, the, the routines that we had working. Um, it was a good marriage between myself and the Braves. There was some give and take on both sides. But I think whenever you have a relationship between player and general manager where the general manager doesn't want the player to leave and the player doesn't want to leave, you make it work. And, uh, and we make it, we made it work. And I'm uh, extremely grateful to, to John Sherholz for, for allowing me to do that. Listen, bottom line, there's only a handful in the United States of uh, professional players now retired that you go by one name and that name is associated to that city. Uh, so you go <laughs> Jeter, New York, Michael, yeah. Chicago, yeah. Chipper, yeah. Atlanta. It's that simple, That's buddy. True. And uh, yeah. very proud of you for that. Um, uh, my last thing here, because um, we got to get going, but um, in this show, I, I always ask as our little kind of thing. It's called the Oh No Way Jose that that happened. So give me something, you know, inside, outside the game, you know, some Zane. You, you played with Zany, you know, crafty, crazy you know, knuckleheads and, and all those things you are also. So uh, either things happen to you or one of your players you can think of on or off the field, you go, no way. And I've seen some pretty good ones in the autobiography too. So there is a <laughs> I know. Many, so come on, give, a, give, give, you I, know, give some love to the, the legends lounge now. And I will tell you one of the ones from the book, it's, it's actually kind of gross, but we're podcasting. Go ahead. So. You know, it, it fits. So, it's just like cable. Let's yeah, go. I'm, I'm in my I'm in my second year uh, in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, I got a big base hit to help us win a game. Um, and, you know, we're showering after the game, big community showers. My my shower was always the second one on the left. And Greg Maddox's was the third one on the left. And so doggy, you know, we're. I'm in my own little world and doggy turns to me and he like serious as all get out. He's like, uh, man, I, I just got to tell you, I don't know that I've ever seen a young guy have as good a grasp of hitting as you do. I mean, I was, you set up that guy tonight and, and got that big base. Just, just tell me what you were thinking. And I'm like, Holy smokes. You know I mean? Greg Maddox is asking me hmm. what I'm thinking at the plate. I mean, I, I was totally into it. And I was like, well, you know, he got me out with the change up the time before. And, and, you know, I got ahead in the count two and one. I figured when the rubber would met the road, he was going to come back to that change up. So I was going to be sitting on it. And for some reason I could sense Eddie Perez was also in the shower <laughs> and I could sense him snickering. Right. <laughs> so I look at Eddie and he's laughing like crazy over in the corner of the, of the showers. And I look down and Greg Maddox is peeing on me. <laughs> like, like, like for the last 30 seconds, he's been peeing on me. And totally, totally oh my God. Me. Yeah. And, and, you know, granted, you know, Greg Maddox back then was $10, $12 million man. And I was in my second full <laughs> season in the big leagues. Trust me, if I had about four or five more years under my belt, I might have whooped his rear end right there in the in the shower. I, 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 didn't, I didn't I didn't feel like I had enough cachet yet. But yeah, that was one of the grosser things that uh, it was so impressive to Doggy that he made you made him pee, man. It was an impressive yeah. fact. That was definitely a uh, no way Jose moment. I can promise you. <laughs>
I think that's a perfect sneak peek for anyone that has not read the autobiography. Oh my too. gosh. You want some good juice on Maddox I and the boys. Character, man. <laughs> Literally. <a> great one. <laughs> Chipper, you're the man. This was awesome. We appreciate it. The cell service was pristine too. So wherever uh, you my, found it, Papa. you nailed it. Yes. <laughs> you nailed it, buddy. Guys, I, I want to uh, go hang out with you over there and uh, maybe catch a or go. I've never been bow hunting, so you know I'm, I'm gonna hook you. Up, you know, hook up a, a big brown Cuban from Miami. <laughs> I, I got, I got you. I got right, you. I have you. I have you hooked on in no time. Y'all take oh, it easy. Geez. All right, buddy. Too, God Jeff, bless. Man. Take care. Enjoy, man. Oh, I know where you want to go right away off of the Chipper Jones interview, but I do want everyone to know in a debut episode that this is what the Legends Lounge is all about, <laughs> life after baseball. And I think you've found yourself an absolute gem of a segment to use on a weekly basis, but it is. I mean, when you think about it, you know, uh, that's what this is about. It's about kind of learning about, of course, the great career that the, the living legends we're going to be ha- you know, having on our show on the Legends Lounge. But it's also what are they doing now? What's important to them maybe beyond baseball, Scotty B? And I think Chipper brought it all. I mean, he brought the great stories on the field, off the field, and what he's involved in and what he loves to do. One of the things being, of course, hunting and fishing and, and being with his dad and his family. I also think you found a gem of a segment that, <laughs> hey, you brought this up a while ago and said, you know, I just want a little a little flavor here, a little, oh, a, little a little no way, Jose. And no way, Jose. And I that think you got I something. Not, I was not expecting that. I was not expecting our first no way, Jose, to be one where, uh, you know, it'll be great when we do bring on the Uber superstar that is Greg Maddox, because uh, obviously <laughs> his, uh, his uh, star qualities went way beyond the mound. So uh, uh, that was a really a, uh, an interesting segment. And, and the fact that the story, you know, led to that, I, I was not expecting that. And it was beautiful. And I'm glad Shiver shared it. Yeah. Greg Maddox is savage. <laughs> I mean, he, I, him. I know how savage you know. he was. Faith, you know, when he threw me a three old changeup and I thought I had him and I, and, and I dribbled it right back to him. And he looked at me and quietly threw the first, like saying, gotcha, big fella. <laughs> and I go, I thought I, I had a 95 coming. Go, nah, 89. <laughs> not yeah he, he'll pull pranks he was unpredictable he was or he is i guess still fearless yes. when you're messing with chipper even though he's a rookie and you're messing with him in the shower like that and really <laughs> playing the part and i I'll, I'll place a bet down a friendly wager that this will not be the last greg maddox reference on a no, no way jose am i accurate there i think there'll be I someone think- else dropping a maddox story or two <laughs> I think he had he played for so long and had so many teammates, um, you know, that I think we're going to be hearing some great stories about Greg Maddox again on and off the field. So the one part that we did not address and full transparency here, this interview was done during the offseason. And this was before the very late surge of free agency that occurred after the CBA with Freddie Freeman departing from Atlanta. So I just wanted to make sure that we touched on that and I got your take. We're not going to, you know, this podcast is not about what's happening on a day-to-day basis. This is a bigger picture kind of look at the game through the legends of the game. But I will say 
because it was so relevant in terms of the Atlanta Braves having Chipper Jones as their guy, their legend for so many years and a franchise cornerstone that stayed there. I thought that Freddie was the next Chipper. Many others did too. No doubt. And since we did that interview, oh, uh, Chipper was actually vocal about the breakup between Freddie and Atlanta and put a little bit of the onus on Freddie's side saying that, you know, he, he thought he was playing with fire when he turned down a contract offer during the season that was reportedly about five years, 135. He ended up getting 6162 for the it. Dodgers, but there's deferrals, yeah. there's tax differences, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, and money's money. But point being, he, Chipper just basically said after, since we've spoken to him, that, hey, if you really wanted to stay there, you probably should have taken a little bit less. I actually look at it a chunk differently, oh, because it felt like he already gave them somewhat of a hometown discount. So I don't know if he necessarily owed them that. But as far as how everything has resulted since then, what's your big picture take on, I think, maybe the story of the offseason as far as transactions? Has to be. I mean, there's no doubt. Maybe, you know, prior to the CBA scenario, uh, the Wander Franco, you know, signing was pretty surprising uh, uh, by the race. But nevertheless, you know, this is the one. You're, you're talking about a landmark player. He was 32. The big thing there, obviously, was that he wanted that extra year. He had gotten five from the from uh, offer. Nice, you know, hometown, a little bit of a discount at 135. Uh, maybe not really. And uh, and he got the six. And uh, But again, I feel like it should have been on the Atlanta side to do everything and anything to keep that type of a, a of a major player involved. Maybe, you know, uh, they thought they went as far as they could and they should have been done. Uh, but again, with our show, you know, we'll we'll cover certain topical things that that are right in our face. But it's really more to let the people know that it, it's more an engaging uh, you know show with the, with the Legends Lounge about. Uh, the fun part of the game, the interesting, you know, nuances, and, and obviously not so much about the X's and O's. Yeah, we've got legends on. And hey, also, let's be real. <laughs> Some of these legends are not paying attention to the game anymore, and that's completely that's fine. Right. I want to cool. hear from them. Hey, you don't watch baseball anymore? What do you watch? What do you do? You know, yeah. we're, you're going to see some conversations with people ahead that involve a completely different world in terms of the business that they're in, or maybe they're really involved with their family lives or whatever it is. That's the whole point. Yep. You know, there are so many different avenues that players can take and many of them don't stay involved in baseball. Many do, but many don't, or many will just want to talk about the best stories that they had that they couldn't (laughs) share back then. No way, Jose. Jose. There's a couple other things that we're going to do here and you'll hear a, a where are they now segment that we'll finish up each episode with, which I also think is just very relevant to the players alumni association that we're working with here. That's lining up these amazing guests is, Hey, some guests that we might not be able to bring on. I still want to share their stories. Some of their stories are even crazier in terms of what they're doing nowadays. So we'll get to that in a few. The other regular part of legends lounge will be a little this week in baseball history. So let's play the game for the next few minutes. Oh, because each week and we're coming out weekly, there's a number of historical moments that you might be able to touch on, especially this first one. And sometimes you might not be able to, but we should still want to share this story. This is, this is for some of the, fans that are into the history of the game as well. I, I do want to touch on that. I even learn a little bit on that front because I'm pretty progressive. As you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more of a 
a modern baseball fan, but no, I but did you know, enjoy you know looking through up. this. And, I and do. The thing Thank about you. baseball is that um, it is one of the great historical type of sports that people really enjoy knowing the figures and have known the figures for for a hundred plus years. So it, it's kind of a neat part that we're adding to it. All right. So ready? I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, five or six, probably that I'll sneak in there over the next few minutes. Let's start this week in baseball history. I'm, I'm going to not bury the lead. Let's go with the headline <laughs> here because it's relevant. The first ever regular season games played by the expansion Marlins and the expansion Rockies this week, back in 1993, it was on April the 5th and Wait, hold, you know, I did a lot of research here. Um, some dude I'm, I'm tight with had a career yeah, year in 93 big, big for Cuban. the fish. 20 <laughs> homers, 87 ribbies, 151 starts at first base. Uh, yeah, some Cuban living the dream playing in Miami professional no baseball. No doubt. It really was, man. You know, I was uh, set in Japan beautifully. I got over there from the Pirates uh, four years earlier and, and had an incredible career over there. For those four years, we won three black back-to-back-to-back champions of MVP. You know, they, it was going beautifully. Uh, and every year, uh, I would I get an offer from Cleveland, from Baltimore. And I was telling my agent, I'm happy. I'm good. Uh, you know, there's no way they're going to match even the contract that I'm getting in Japan. Uh, but all of a sudden, uh, the Marlins come about at the end of the winter of 92. And that was too tough. You know, um, talk about a hometown discount. And that's fine. I mean, because I, I hate, you know, I don't like when players are making millions of dollars say, well, I got a home count discount, you know, because there's still millions of dollars. It was all relative. But I did turn down a two-year six to come home and, and do a two-year $40 million deal with the Marlins and get got to lead them in home runs and RBIs. But that April 5th, and actually that wasn't the first game in Colorado. That was the first game against Dodgers, Oral Hershiser, Tommy Lasorda, manager. We, we, we had a great game maybe a week or so later at Colorado where we played in front of, I think it was 80,000 fans or something like that. But that particular game, April 5th, uh, 1993, will be ever etched in in my mind. Uh, number one, the great Joe DiMaggio throughout the first pitch, Scotty B. I mean, uh, later on, I got to have two one-on-one personal di- uh, lunches with Joe DiMaggio. He took a liking to me. I had donated it to the Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. So that's that's for another uh, story that we'll talk about down the road in, on our uh, Legends Lounge. But the bottom line was to be at first base, to see 45,000 fans, uh, my, you know, I think 27,000, I must have known personally. <laughs> but it was <laughs> beautiful. Mom and dad, I, I really came home for my parents and mainly for my dad Leo, because uh, remembering him coming home from from work, uh, whether it was his construction job or when he was driving a taxi at Miami International Airport for 15 years and throwing me BP at, at 530, six o'clock at night when it was getting dark and I was already 13 at about six foot two and hitting bullets right back at him. Uh, that really was what I wanted him. You know, I had, had touches at the big leagues with the Yankees and the Pirates at that point. But and he saw saw me shine in Japan. In fact, their first game ever in Japan, I hit three homers off a guy Hoffman, former since uh, Chicago Cubs lefty. Um, so they saw some great stuff over there. But to be able to shine at home, first major league team, that was uh, never will be forgotten. And uh, yeah, and we didn't finish in last place. The Mets finished in last place, so we had a decent year, and, and it was a, an incredible, incredible experience. 
You had a great year. Yeah. That's a dream season. And and risk, one of my big things has always been, whenever I talk to any of our guests, you'll notice if we talk about the X's and O's, it's about run production for the offense. And, And one of my big things is that Anywhere I played that I had over 450, 500 bats, I, I, I led that team in, in RBI. So it, it, at A-ball, double-A, triple-A, big leagues for Japan. So it, it, I was really about trying to, to drive in runs and hitting over 300 when runners are in scoring position. So I was able to do that at the big league level. I know I'm a modern guy, like some of the new stats, but I believe in clutch. Yeah. I yeah, really do. And that, and you're a perfect example of it. So we basically only have time for one or two more, but I will say, you know, the year before that 1992, this one's special to me, the Baltimore Orioles officially yes. unveiling the, the beauty that is wow. Camden yards on Auto April Park. 6th, 1992. That's one of my favorites. Just the aesthetics. It is a still true is. modern classic. It still is. It absolutely is. I, I love just about everything day. about Camden Yards and then other parks and that were cracked cake. open. <laughs> and what? Crab, crab cakes. <laughs> yes. Boog's Barbecue is big for me yeah. too. That one stands out. It's one of my favorite spots to hit on the road. Uh, also, you had April 4, 1997. This is fitting for this episode. Turner Field, the new home of the yeah. Atlanta Braves. And then a couple individual accomplishments in this week in baseball history. April 7th, Jack Morris with a no no, only one of his career and his hall of fame career and the Tigers won that year. And then also to top this all off the legends, Amron Hank in front of 53,755 April 8th, 1974 off Al Downing career home run number seven fifteen. And in front of a, and in front of a kid that, that, that came home from school to watch it in Miami by the name of uh, Orestes, who I remember sitting glued to WPIX uh, and watching that actually happen. It was unbelievable. Unreal. So we'll do this every week, a little this week in baseball history, every week in the legends lounge. And also let us know if there's some history that you want to shout out. Yeah. up Twitter, Instagram. We'll give you more of those details later. Also, I'm at Scott Braun. I'll take some of those answers as well. One of my favorite segments in Sports Illustrated magazines as a kid was the Where Are They Now? And I was like, wait a sec. How fitting is it for us? To incorporate that into the Legends Lounge is the perfect podcast to keep that running. So we're going to bring that to you each week. And I picked out the perfect Where Are They Now oh, for this episode. So we're playing off the Chipper Jones, pragmatic right. story at the end. I'm not going to repeat it. So you can run it back if you missed anything. You know what I'm saying? In the shower, the whole deal. He thought it was <laughs> a big deal and then noticed what was happening. So let's cover another prankster of his era. He is not a household name. But Rick Bassetti's claim to fame will probably stick with you. Bassetti was a light-hitting outfielder, played for the Bills, the Cardinals, the Blue Jays, the A's, played from 1976 to 1982. Okay. He hit home runs in seven different ballparks during his career. Again, you're listening. You're going, cool, great. There's many guys that have done that. Why are you bringing that up? Well, because he's claimed to have urinated in the outfield. Of every major league stadium of his era. And in fact, he this is on the record. He told a reporter in 1979, I've gotten all the major league parks. That's why I want interleague play to water that beautiful grass in Wrigley Field. <laughs> would be 
beautiful. So that's what I call oh, the game inside the game. Anyway, right. Bassetti's legit. He returned to his hometown of Redding, California after retiring. He founded a tech company, sold that after 20 years. Then he entered the realm of municipal politics, served eight years on Redding City's council, and then three years as a mayor. So from watering parks to running towns, look at him go. And now Bassetti is the GM of the Redding Colt 45s, a collegiate summer league team in Shasta County. So how fitting. I mean, there's a lot to digest there, but how fitting that you can be the ultimate prankster and talk about water and fields as a player and then mature, like we talked about, and evolve into a mayor and a humanitarian and somebody who's contributing to the community in other ways. Yeah. See, when you started out about that baseball players were human beings, he's one that evolved into a human being, Scotty B, <laughs> because he was a little bit of an animal when you're peeing and that's one of your, you know, your, your goals. Is to get a hit, maybe a homer, and I want to pee in the outfield. Uh, but there's so many characters like that that I've played with. Uh, you know, I can even think uh, guys like Joe Charbonneau for the Cleveland Indians, and maybe we'll track him down. Uh, but baseball has that unique kind of uh, personality. So many games, you're in that town so long. Even when you go on the road, you're in that town for several days, not just one and done. So uh, he was interesting, and Redding uh, definitely part of my you know past, have, having come through there in, in that Double A league when it was the Phillies. So uh, an interesting cat, very very cool. <laughs> that was a perfect way to start off. Where are they now? Just given Chipper's story too that we were coming sure. off of, and Chipper Jeez, was was fantastic. He was legendary. So this is it. This this was the first night or visit. Whenever you're listening inside the lounge, exclusive access to some of the top former players, but it doesn't have to be, it could be just anybody, right? Like we're talking about Pacetti. This is not a guy who swept through the big leagues and many no people probably don't know who he is unless they were pretty locked into the game or following one of the teams that he was yeah, on. Send us who you want to hear, you know, what they're doing now. So yes, there's some people that maybe you don't, you know, even though we have this incredible social media outlet now in this day and age and, and connectivity, what I end up finding as a former major leaguer for three major league teams, I get the newsletter. So, and some fans that are tied so tightly to those cities, they might get, you know, a newsletter as far as what the, you know, that player that played for them possibly, but we're getting, we're getting an opportunity to do it, you know, full range of all the teams that have been in the major leagues and the ones that are to come. And the social channels again at M L A M Authentics, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you want to hit us up with questions, requests, the whole deal. And now this week's lounge is closed. See you soon. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Legends.